Fresh off the Chicago Innovation Awards, as mentioned in the previous episode, uh, I'm still on the Chicago Innovation Awards uh, sort of track, if you will. Last year, one of the up-and-comer award winner was Chowley. Uh, Sterling Douglas at CEO has been on my show several times. Uh, we were actually just reminiscing about the fact that he uh, he went back to the archives and saw some <laughs> stuff and was watching sort of the 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 fidgetism, if you will. It was his first time uh, being on a main thing, and I don't know if we're a main thing, but I guess at the time for him it was a main thing. Um, at any rate... He's back on the show. Charlie is kicking ass and taking names, 60, 60 and growing. Um, it's just a really cool story to me. I, I think like in this conversation that I'm going to have with Sterling, I, it's going to be hard for me as a, like I interview a ton of people. Like at this point, I don't know. I'm at like 500, I'm at more than 500 interviews, but like the people collectively 350, maybe, I don't know, something like that. A lot of founders, a lot of CEOs, a lot of innovators. And there's a few people who you just remember stuff. We just laughed about the fact that he made a note on this about, about snowboarding and actuary. Like I remember a bunch of the conversations <laughs> that we had the first time you're on this show. I, I literally remember this. Uh, and so it's always fun for me, not just to catch up with the companies and the founders and the CEOs and stuff to, to see what they've done and grown. Cause that's all really cool. But honestly, you know, there's Chicago Inno and cranes and stuff to report on what the numbers are and where, where they're at. And, and obviously we want to know the numbers and, and, and we want to promote these companies, but it's really, to me, the, the, the learning part for all of you listening is to hear the passion, to hear the continued passion and to hear the learning. And like, I'm not going to go into the struggle porn failure stuff. I can't stand it. But like, there's like, there's this idea of like, yeah, you know what? I was like balls out into this one thing. And then all of a sudden I was like, not really. And I took a left turn and that was it. And then I'm onto a new thing and, and there, you can maintain enthusiasm. Uh, and it's not a pivot. It's just a it's perseverance, perseverance. Exactly. And th that's the voice of Sterling Douglas himself. So I might as well jump right into the show. <laughs> Sterling, uh, welcome back to the show. First off. Thanks Scott. You're already calmer. You already looked the part. The blazers on, like oh, you're you smooth. Yeah. You got yeah. the founder shirt going on. <laughs> like you're 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 a can of Red Bull away from like what I expect a, a tech founder to look like. Well, you should have seen me like an hour ago. Is having run in right at the office? I suspect so. I'm like on the sixth coffee, which you can tell because my voice is like all over the place. Uh, I'm gonna start pitching out like a kid going through puberty soon. Go. Yeah. Uh, not that there's a correlation between caffeine, coffee, and that, but for whatever reason, that's where I go. Um, what I want to start off with is for those of the people who are new to this uh, Technori podcast, which is really shameful, you should be there the whole time. Uh, what is Chowley? We'll start with what is Chowley, and then we'll go back through the the record book and, and kind of talk about your your background, mm -hmm. uh, your contribution to Chowley, and why mm -hmm. you are the you know the man behind certain parts of this that make it work, mm -hmm. and the future, and and how things are going with not just Chowley but but your entrepreneurial journey, which. Um, you know, before I let you go into Charlie, I, like I'll give you an example. Most of the founders who come on here, even the last one, Hans, uh, who's not the founder, but he's the CEO of Carly's. There are certain parts of every entrepreneur or CEO who even know Charlie is my life. And, and I, you could be a Charlie until IPO or mm -hmm. later. You'll still have little side projects that are Charlie and side projects that aren't. And I find those to be the most fascinating because I think that they tell a lot about the individual, like what their real interests are and, and how they wind what they love and do into what they do for a living, if that makes any sense. So yeah. uh, hopefully we can uncover some of that stuff. But in the meantime, for those who do not know, what is Chowley? Sure. So basically what Chowley does is Chowley takes orders from all the different third-party delivery marketplaces. So these are companies like Uber Eats, like Grubhub, like DoorDash, like Postmates. There's over a thousand of them actually across the U.S. Which is insane. So Charlie basically takes orders from all of these different marketplaces, and then we integrate them directly into the restaurant's point of sale system. 
And the reason that that's important is because if you're a restaurant, let's say you sign up for the big four, right? Yep. Grubhub, Uber Eats, DoorDash, Postmates. Each one of them ships you a tablet. And then each one of those tablets is how you receive orders from that company. Yep. So now you're paying a staff member at your restaurant to watch this wall of tablets, wait for orders to come in, and when they do, manually key it into the point of sale system. It's expensive from labor. They miss orders. They fat finger addresses. Uh, and it creates this kind of mess. So you have a restaurant that's trying to leverage technology and take advantage of all these marketplaces, but they're struggling to fit it into their operations. So what Chally does is basically simplify that whole process by automating it. Order comes in from any of those third parties, and we're going to inject it right into the point of sale system. So there's no data entry. There's no worrying about fat fingering. And you can add on as many third parties as you want so you can increase the top line revenue. So tell me how you got the, – you were the founder, co-founder. How, how did this work? With yeah, Sally? so Just, Justin and I co-founded it yeah, together. Yep. So with that, how – how did you find yourself into this spot? Because this is one of those things, and I'm not saying this because I already know the backstory. Mm -hmm. I'm saying this because <clears throat> one of the coolest observations that I can make of founders that have come on the show is there are like, you almost have to tumble down a hill, hit a rock, bounce off a tree to get to this spot. Yeah. Because you would never be able to, you wouldn't know that this is a like a big problem unless you were trying to discover something else. No, we fully stumbled on this. Yeah. Uh, there, there's always an element of right time, right place in almost every founding story uh, that I've heard. And we were no different. Uh, you know, there was, I was working on a previous company and one of the big issues that we had was integrating into the point of sale. Um, so we actually built this point of sale integration for it, never launched it, but just enough to understand what the problem was. And then by talking to the different restaurants, I mean, there are restaurants here in Chicago. I mean, D'Agostino's yep. Pizzeria, like a local favorite on Addison and Riggaville, another one in Ogden. They were our first clients. They were the ones that said, look, we have this problem and point of sale integration would solve it. And what we did is we just followed that problem. We didn't sit around and say, hey, we want to start a company. What are the best like products that we can come across or what do we think customers need? We heard it straight from them. And this is just a big, and this is why... Uh, Justin and I worked so well together. So Justin was new. He had, he had nothing to do with the previous company. But one of the things I knew that we needed if we were going to start this point-of-sale integration company, which became Chally, is that we need a really strong technical co-founder who understood lean, uh, lean startup and who understood letting the customer's feedback drive the product. Yep. Um, and so, you know, him and I made that for D'Agostino's and then found out Jet's Pizza needed it, found out Union Sushi needed it, found out, you know, Woodstock's Pizza over in San Diego needed it. And we kept following this problem um, and building the solutions that the customers asked for. And that's how we were able to build it to where it is today. So I want to pause our conversation as it pertains to Charlie for a second and sure. drop into something different here. Um, I'm going to harp on stuff and I want you, I, I think you're a very smart guy and I think you're a very talented founder. So I want you to push back and like play opposition if you can. Sure. Um, <clears throat> the number of companies, as you can probably imagine, we were, I was actually just on the way to the studio today with uh, my friend who you probably know, uh, Farmer's Fridge founder, Luke yeah. Saunders. Yeah. Uh, so Luke and I were laughing about some of the crazy pitches. He just raised a shit ton of cash yeah. and was talking about how the minute the, the market heard about his money. Yep he started getting an influx of pitches yep. of people like, oh, I, you, you know how to get money. I should send you this thing. And we were laughing about how ridiculous some of these pitches are. And you can imagine some of the crazy stuff that we get. Mm -hmm. And there has been no shortage of companies like your original one. Mm -hmm. Not so much Charlie. Charlie is very fleshed out. You found a niche, clearly. And we'll talk more about that. But like, there are a number of companies that have come in. I don't even know if I want to call them a company because it's really like a founder with an idea and a project. They've come in. And they just take an approach that to me is, 
I guess just stupid. <laughs> and, and like I want to be nice about it, but it's it's stupid. Like they they want to build a product before they have a customer base that mm-hmm. has a problem. Yeah. And that was the thing that struck me about you. The reason I and I've had a, at least five conversations with people with similar products to your original idea. And the four of them only stand out in that they're the four others. You stood out to me. I remember our conversations in depth and walking around 1871 talking about it Mm -hmm. because you came out with this idea of like, we have, let's call it limited capacity. I can build sort of half a solution. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're going to build all of it yet. We're going to figure it out. You were focused on working with end users Mm -hmm. And figuring out what their real problems were. And in doing so, you built sort of half a solution until you found your way to where you are now, yeah. Charlie. What about, like, what about that, mate? Like, did you think about that ahead of time? Like, how did you? Yeah, with Charlie, I mean, that was uh, it was 100% our thought process. Our our first iterate, I mean, we're huge believers in MVP. It's, it's the best way to roll out the product. Well, you brought up Lean Startup. To me, that's yeah. something that I don't think, like, you're, you're a repeat founder, but you're not like a 40-year-old guy. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? Uh, no, I mean the the whole lean startup methodology is based around putting it's it's based around failing fast and letting customers drive your customer feedback drive your product roadmap. And one of the things that we found, and I talked to a fair amount of entrepreneurs, and I was definitely the same entrepreneur when I first started. I have this great idea. Eh, the product needs to be perfect. I know it's a problem. I don't need a bunch of people to tell me it is. And as, as a lot of first-time founders, too, you get burned by that, and then you realize that there's another way to do it. And that other way to do it is to try to build, try to get your product to market as fast as possible. I'm a big believer, and you have to be embarrassed by that first product. Yep. To give you an example, with Chowley, that D'Agostino's on Addison location, yep. um, it took me 26 hours to set that location up. 26 hours. That's not a scalable solution no. at all. But the next client that we uh, that we brought on, you know, the next Agostino's ones, you know, that one took 14 and, and, and then it takes 10 and then it takes eight. So every single time Justin and I are looking at it and we're saying, all right, what does it like? What do we spend the most time working on? Was it the menu mapping piece? Was it the point of sale configuration piece? Was it just scheduling? Did it just take us seven days to get it scheduled? Was there a lot of back and forth? And what you do is the more data that you can collect from each of those instances of the process, the better and more efficient you can make it so that now it only takes us an hour. And now it's scalable. But in the beginning days, all you're trying to prove out, you know, first you have to prove out proof of concept that your product can actually do what it's supposed to. Uh, Then you have to prove out the product market fit, right? Make sure that people actually want it. Then it's prove out a customer acquisition strategy. Then it's proving out you can scale. Um, And I just feel like most first-time founders skip right to everything we do has to be scalable. And I think that that hinders a lot of that beginning process. And that's where the actuary came in. <laughs> Just for those of you listening, in case you're curious. No, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think where we and we try to like try to solve this problem a little bit. We have really I don't know if you've kept up with what we're doing since. Oh, yeah. You know, since we last were on the show. But like we've really started to get involved with working with founders, try to steer them mm-hmm. out of that direction. Because I think I think the failure has to happen. They have to learn. I think the like. It's like sticking your finger in an outlet. Like you're, I could tell you, but until you actually feel the shock as a kid, like you're like, oh, that's probably, you know, how bad could it be? Yep. Not good. I think you have to learn from failure. So I, I'm with you on that. The thing that I think challenges me is I can't stress this enough. And I don't, I probably said this to you on the show even, and you were probably like, F you. But I think now <laughs> you obviously have come around with it. Like in truth, execution's everything. Yeah. Like what I could have lined up Charlie 2.0 
call it whatever you want, next to you, and even if you both had similar backgrounds, the difference of who's going to succeed and have 60 employees raising a bunch of capital and moving fast and the one who's pretty much stalemate is going to be the one who recognizes that I don't have to be perfect. I don't have everything has to be the best. I don't have to cover my IP to the end of, end of time. <laughs> what I have to do is learn that this call took seven minutes, this one took 12 minutes, this took an hour, and how do I minimize the amount of time spent? That's it. Half, half of our first 100 clients, so 50 out of our first 100 clients, I swear on that first call that I had with them after they were sold and I'd take over and do implementation, said, oh, we had the idea for Charlie like years ago, like you guys are doing it. Uh, and that's great. Like the idea had been around for a while. Yeah. Um, but which is a good thing because it's easier for you to convert them if they recognize. We it. had so many early adopters that knew they needed this. Um, we I, I try to remember that it was when we were about a year, year and a half into it. We looked at uh, our sales data to see like where our leads were coming from. Half of them found us just through googling or asking people because they already knew they had the problem and yeah. they were desperately searching. So we didn't do any SEO. We had no marketing. We had no presence posting to Cora. that's pretty much it yeah no that, that was our early marketing <laughs> yeah, if you I'm look sure. at if you look at Cora and look at how do i integrate grubhub orders into my point of sale you'll see an answer for me from like I, 2016 I saying that jolly you know is the only one that does this blah 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 um but they had all everyone had this idea but it was executing it and then uh, along with just the product side but then also trying to grow a business around it um, that ended up being the hardest part. So talk about sort of the building of this sense. Like you get it going. So here's, and this is where things are, I for me at least, this is where I geek out. So the tech part is fascinating, interesting. We've got, you know, all kinds of insights into that. Sure. But like in general, what, what separates the real success stories usually, obviously great tech and great experiences and everything is all important, of course. But at the end of the day, like scaling a company, mm. scaling humans, you you walk in with the first company that you were were coming in with and it's like, Maybe you were ready for it. I don't know. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you needed humility from not doing, you know, I don't know what the answer is. But like once you dropped in with Chowley, mm -hmm. this is from the outside looking in. It looked like things were going, they're kind of going, we're working on something, we're going to announce some stuff. And then all of a sudden I blinked my eyes and it was like 10 people, 15 people, 25, 30, 60. It was like, what the shit? Like <laughs> you just blew up like that. And you're not even, you know, you're not even near where you're going to be with this. But like, how have you been able to go from what was basically a one-man operation, two-man operation, Two, to yeah. sixty, mm -hmm. and know where to place the talent and the people, and where to apply your time and and your money? Up until about twenty people or so, it was mostly winging it. Yep. And you can get away with that because I I, I knew everyone on a personal level. Yeah. I, I I had I had met some of our team members' parents. Like we'd all gone out. Like we knew them all. Up until 20, you can really... I feel like you would have ordered in using Charlie, but that's just my opinion. Well, yeah. <laughs> we used to do... We ordered a lot of Jets pizza in the early I, days. I, I <laughs> but uh, you you can really get away with without having kind of a, a lot of process. Yep. And but when you want to make the next jump... So to give you an example, so we, we did our fundraising round. Uh, we closed the round on June 20, 26th. Um, between, June, between the beginning of July and the end of July, we went from 25 to 50 people. We doubled the size of our company in just about four weeks. Which is insane. Um, all of our investors told us not to do it. I was it. just going to say, like, uh, I can't imagine everyone uh, was thrilled with everyone the Everyone we talked to said like, it was really hard. And what we did is, because I, I personally just had a lot of trust in our team to be able to handle it, but we also needed to do it. Sales had been killing projections, and so we had this big backlog of clients, and we had to get them implemented. Yeah. So we had to hire quickly. And Are I, most of these hires on the tech side? or like uh, where, what is the, What's the big thing you got to fill all the time? 
it's always hard. To, it's not it's not customer support. It's our implementation team. We tripled the size of operations um, as part of that twenty five to fifty growth. Yep. Um, but one of the reasons that when as we were hiring them that we were successful, um, I'll definitely give a shout out to Built in Chicago because we did use them to help source candidates, and that was amazing. But uh, Joe, our COO, we. Other than that, we didn't use any recruiters. We didn't use anyone to help onboard or train or interview. All of that was done internally. And when we talked to our investors and they said, that's too many people, all I do is ask, why? Give me the reasons that this always fail. And then that gives us a blueprint on what to avoid. And the two big things were culture, because you have as many of a new culture coming in as you did of your old culture, yep. um, and that you overhire. And so we took those two big points and said, we're not going to screw those up. So we hired 100% off culture. There was no tech background um, on the sales team. There's no sales background. Uh, we just wanted to get people who had great energy. We wanted them to fit into our transparent team-based culture. And then we'll train them on everything else. And then when we got to the point, we ended up being three short of the numbers we wanted to hire. But we didn't have the people that we wanted. So instead of overhiring, we just said, that's all we're going to do right now. And then we came back about a month later and filled the three. So what we did is we took all of the kind of I don't want to say naysayers, but we took the people, all the warnings and use yeah. that as a blueprint yep. to help get the growth that we needed. And the people that we brought on were contributing in the same month they were hired. They were launching clients, taking support calls. They were taking ownership over it. Um, it, it was an amazing experience. And I actually personally had little to do with it. Um, you know, Joe, our COO, good spot to uh, be. Re really led that. Um, and I was just mostly there for to support and to annoy them and bother about things. Along Sweet. The way. So I, I don't want to get you in any trouble with your investors, this, but I have to ask the question because it's it is a challenge, I think, for a lot of people that <clears throat> to your point, I don't want to say naysayers because that's not really accurate. It's just people who have had a bad experience in the past. Yeah. And they usually in speaking from personal and other experiences, uh, usually speaking, they think they know exactly what you need and they don't quite put themselves in your shoes. And, and it's like there's rarely constructive criticism that goes along with it. It's usually like, don't do it. It's stupid. And then they don't tell you how to fix it. Yeah. We're really fortunate. So math ventures here yep. in Chicago. Let well, Mark Ackler knows as much as there is to know yeah. about the culture yeah. as possible. Troy so. Hennikoff, yep. um, he, he kind of, he, he's, he's been so awesome. Number one, he was giving us a ton of his time before he even led the round yep. um, from a mentorship side, both personally, but to Justin and the rest of the team as well. Um, and then when it came time to it, um, you know, he was one that gave us the warning and, and said, here are the two things that you have to watch out for. Um, we're so lucky to have him on the board uh, because he, he challenges uh, I me. Mean, when I say I want to do something, he'll challenge me, and that'll get me even more prepared for it. Yep. Um, so, you know, he, whether he'd admit it or not, he probably had a, a quite a bit to do with the success of, of those hiring uh, as anyone else. So I, I feel like that's one of the things that – I don't know. I mean, it's, this is a good weird example because Math Ventures is such an anomaly, I think, because you've got Troy who ran Techstars. Mm -hmm. So he's had a ton of experience dealing firsthand with founders. It's not just an investor. And you've got Mark Ackley, who's been part of some of the biggest brands you've ever heard of, yeah. Redbox, Apple, et cetera. And I don't mean like associate. I mean like the head of innovation. <laughs> like he literally led the charge and worked with Steve Jobs and stuff. So like yeah. his, his vision is just different. But I also think that there's a certain, and I lack this because I'm a person who just sort of like, I'm like a throw a brick through the window and like somebody, like my team is there to pick up the pieces and, you know, use the daggers. <laughs> I'm not a person who's like pushes them forward, if that makes sense. I kind of, mm -hmm. I pull, I don't push. Mm -hmm. um, when you're dealing with investors, I think that there's a part of you as the founder who is in a lot of, has a lot of control as it comes down to how the investors treat you. I think you going to them and being pragmatic and in the way you position it, 
saying, I think we, we want to, we, I don't think we want to, we need to hire 50 people by the end of July because we've got demand that requires it. And they're going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want you to spend the bulk of the money I just gave you. And if you don't work out, it's gone and it's over. And then what do you do? But you position it in a certain way that enables the, the, the investor to feel comfortable pushing back on you, but not grabbing the reins. Yeah, I, I've, uh, I think that's 100%. I, I totally put the, the, the founder will get as much or as little out of uh, his or her investors as, as they choose. Um, I, I think it was a... Um, during, during when we were going out and pitching for the Series A, uh, I kept getting the same, this one particular question. Every single time I got this one question. And then some people even, some investors even cited it as passing. Uh, and instead of adjusting our pitch, uh, Justin and I got together and adjusted our business. Because if you have enough people passing you this feedback, you know, we took that as, all right, that means we need to do X. And then we went out and then did pitches afterwards and then had, here's the th changes that we made to our business. And then all of a sudden, you saw a lot more momentum going into it. Yeah. So you can get out as much from <clears throat> investors, whether they be uh, you know, potential investors or current investors, as you put into it. I agree. I, I just want to use this as a warning, not a warning, but like a, no, it's, it's a really important point. So like, I'll even use our own previous investors. So we just did a deal with, with Mike Rothman. He's the founder, CS, uh, former CEO of SMS Assist. And we got most of our, well, all of our investors out of Technori, and so everyone's cleared up. But, like, there was a lot of battling, not during my, quote-unquote, you know, era of Technori, but with Seth, there was a lot of battling between the investors because they all put in a good amount of money, and they all kind of came in at different times. And I, I stressed this to Seth before I took over as CEO of Technori, and, and obviously afterward when everyone went bye-bye, that there's a certain part of this job that is sort of handling. You're a handler. There are going to be investors and they're going to, it's going to happen to you too. It is no choice as money starts coming in and you don't just have Mark and, 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 uh, and Troy investors are going to come in and they're going to have different agendas and different barometers for what they want from you. And if you want to make it adversarial, you can. And in some cases it might be in your best interest to make it adversarial, to, to draw a line in the sand and make it kind of a pain in the ass for them to cross. And in other cases, it might be very friendly and almost like best friends, which could be good and could be bad. You really, as a, as a, as a founder, have to know, but, and I don't want to sound like almost gross like this, but you have to know what you want to get out of them. And it's more than money. The money You can get money anywhere. What do I want to get out of these people? Is it guidance? Is it a board person? Is it someone who just, I need to make context? You need to know that stuff. And that's the part that I, I really admire about you because you don't have that extensive background that some of the folks that have come in here, like, you know, I, I look at like Jason Culp from, from Deus, who's in here, he's former CTO of, of Upwork. Yeah. We don't have, you know, he, you don't have that background he has, but yet you've managed this in a way that's incredibly smart. Uh, yeah, we have, we have a couple of great, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Riley from Upheaval uh, Investments has fantastic uh, connections into the restaurant space. Um, you know, John Shulkin from Valor Equity, um, both on really guys. high growth, um, you know, on high growth businesses, but also has really deep connections into the restaurant space, especially on the technology side. Um, and then, you know, we, we have we have Troy in there. We have Chicago Ventures. We have you know Ira from Hyde Park Ventures. Everyone ends up uh, has their own piece um, that I, I typically like to go to with them. And we've gotten nothing but support. Um, I couldn't be happier with our investor, you know, our partner portfolio, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
we've gotten outpouring support. They've always been there for us, and we've been really fortunate that they've uh, they've contributed as much as they have. Very cool. Well, hey, congratulations on the success, the continued success. I expect to have you on here uh, more than once every two years, and every single time I'm going to bring up the snowboarding and all of your. I say we history. didn't even talk about snowboarding this time. It's I, a hey, first. I was told I was told <laughs> that we should just talk about Chowley, so we're doing that. no. I, I just like honestly. This is a sign of a guy who's made some serious success. I mean, you get to a point where, like, there's just not time to talk about other stuff. I'm so proud of of what the team's accomplished, but at the same time, we got a ways to go. Of Um, course. There's there's a a million things you guys are going to have to focus on. And uh, I will tell you the same thing. You don't need it from me. You've got guys better than me to tell you, but like, (laughs) there's a million. Your company's going to be three or four new companies again and again and again before you get there. Like, it looks great now, and then there's going to be another revenue opportunity that is not this, that come off of this. And you have no idea. Five years from now, this might be a problem that you solved, and it becomes not important anymore. When it comes to technology in the restaurant space, uh, there's a, we always, our our mission is to simplify technology for restaurants. That's that's it. That's what we always come back to. There are so many other different uh, technologies that are touching restaurants um, that, you know, we're going to be able to tackle and, and help get restaurants so that like Domino's pizza, you can order 18 ways and you can fix holes in the street. Yeah. I, I don't know if we'll be able to help with that one. There's 18 different ways you can order Domino's pizza. There's no reason that D'Agostino shouldn't be offered the same thing. Yep. And there's a, there's a really good opportunity to us for help. A lot of those restaurants get there. Very cool. Well, where do people go to uh, learn more about Charlie? Just Charlie.com. Simple enough. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you for coming in. Thanks Scott. Of course you can catch this episode of more, Wherever you get podcasts or technory.com, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Technory. Or, of course, you can follow me at Katoon. Boom, that's a wrap.